The first slide is going to come up, and you'll see a classic piece of art on a, a story, and we're going to get into it in a moment. But a few weeks ago, actually, even just before I started, I, I reached out to Jade, and it, we, he gave me this scripture for this first sermon uh, today. And uh, it's a huge topic. It's in our series of, of uh, encounters with Jesus, and specifically, Jesus heals us. So, healing. Wow, uh, it's a huge topic and a loaded topic. And so some of my natural questions were, what do we believe and feel at 10th about healing? Uh, Generally, what do we as sort of uh, post-enlightenment, post-modern folks, uh, scientific minds, what what do we think and believe when when we hear about healing and, and Jesus and healing? So if you're skeptical in any way, I just want you to put you at ease and say you're in good company. If you've had experiences with healing or desire for healing, you're also in good company. So we're all together here. We're going to learn from Jesus and hear some stories uh, that, uh, that we look to as Christians from the Bible. So we're going to be weaving in and out of the story we find in Mark chapter 2. If you have a Bible or you're going to be seeing it on the screen and you can follow along. Let me begin. A few days later, when Jesus... Uh, again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So the opening lines of of our gospel text shows a very common scene, Jesus teaching and healing, and, and crowds flocking to him. He's likely in the home of the disciple Peter, perhaps, and they're all gathered in a packed room. We go on. So so then some men came to him, bringing him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him because, uh, to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. You'll see another image. I'll keep using these through this sermon. And uh, I I love this one. It's from a a West African country by a local artist and is depicting a a scene probably similar to that scene that Jesus was in. At the beginning of COVID, um, maybe like you, I I met many of my neighbors I hadn't met before. And we were all walking and walking dogs and running and just ways to, you know, get sanity in the middle of the the chaos and the unknown. So that's where I met a a local, another neighbor named Heidi. Heidi's a mother and a grandmother in our neighborhood. And uh, she has a friendly poodle named Molly. Always say hi to Molly. And we walk near the Fraser River in Richmond, where we live. Uh, So on one of the walks uh, a couple years ago, she told me about helping a young lady named Jessie. She gave me permission to tell the story, but uh, Jessie is not her real name. So Jessie is someone that Heidi began volunteering through her church to help during COVID. Jessie and her mom are new to Canada, uh, far from home, just mom and daughter. And Jessie's about the age of my, my own second daughter, Jelena, who's 20 now. Um, so on Jessie's first day of grade 12, a few years ago, Jessie came home feeling sick. So as her mom would do, she took Jessie to a Medi clinic. And... Um, Jesse was quickly transferred to BC cancer, and the next day, Jesse underwent surgery for a massive brain tumor. 
Now, this is about the worst possible outcome you could have if a child comes home sick from school. And what followed was two years of successive radiation, chemotherapy, uh, and missing grade 12, all the joy, the friendship, and pretty much doing nothing else except appointments and getting sicker and sicker. So Heidi's church had heard about uh, Jesse's case, probably from the local school, had called. And so uh, Heidi's pastor called her knowing she's retired. Could Heidi drive Jesse to some appointments just as a beginning? And so what followed was the beginning of a beautiful relationship over a couple years that now it would, she would say is close like family. And so over, the, over these two years during COVID, I would continually get updates from Heidi on, on Jesse's progress. And I found my heart really going out to her in this situation. So of all the stories I considered telling this morning to go with our passage, I thought of Jesse's story because it's so similar to what we see happening with Jesus. So in, in our gospel story today, in Mark chapter 2, we have four unnamed men who have a friend. And their friend has a problem. He's, he's paralyzed, whether by an accident or, or by birth. They've grown up probably in the community knowing this, this boy who, who became a man who's paralyzed. And living in an agricultural society as they were, being paralyzed in your body, it's, it's really a sentence. It's not good. It's not helpful. And so you need your friends. And likely in this town with these friends and the family, they've probably tried many, many things to, to heal or to help. And they've been part of his life. So the day that they all heard Jesus was coming to town, of course, they wanted to see and meet Jesus but they remembered their friend. They wanted their friend also to meet Jesus because they'd heard the stories. The blind see, the lame walk, and even the dead are raised. And so as friends with that crowded house, they actually had to take extreme measures to help their friend get near to Jesus. So uh, the, the homes in that time, like still in many places, maybe in the Middle East and elsewhere, they have flat roofs places to, to dry things. And so these roofs would have been uh, some wood planks and grass and mud and likely a staircase up the side of the house. So the, the Bible says the house is crowded. What do they do? Let's take our friend up on the roof. And there they are. They, they began gladly, shamelessly digging, digging through the, through the mud, the grass, the wood, opening up a hole. And inside, if you're inside the house, Dirt, straw, falling, falling down on your head as these motivated friends help their, uh, their friend get to Jesus. And what they hope could be Jesus' healing. It's going to be amazing. So again, these friends remind me of Heidi and their church in Richmond. Heidi was not alone in driving and bringing meals and going to appointments and sitting and praying with Jesse and her family. It was a community effort. And each time on our walks, I, I would just always ask for an update. But sadly, I kept hearing Jesse was getting more and more frail. Hope of recovery seemed bleak. And uh, moving towards eventual death actually seemed like the probable outcome. Cancer is brutal. And I think brain cancer is particularly brutal. And, and I know in, in a church like 10th, some of you have been through this in different ways. 
in my own family, we've been through this. Um, my wife's father, Dwight, uh, on the year he was set to retire in 2015, 2016, he, he went to, to the doctor. He, he'd been a, a carpenter, finishing carpenter all his life. And so having a sore back, kind of par for the course. So uh, a particularly sore back, Dwight eventually went to a doctor and uh, found out, actually, he had some cancer in the bones. And it turned out that it, it's a serious form of cancer in the lung that it spread. So now he had cancer in his bones. So of course, this diagnose, diagnosis caused us shock and in the family, and we, we began praying, and we began visiting. But deep down, you begin fearing the worst. Back to Heidi and Jesse's story, something you should also know about her is Heidi had lost her own husband to cancer just in the same year of meeting Jesse. So again, Heidi's doing this out of her own pain and love. And so as she would share and express, and I've had my own situation going through this with our father, I would often tear up. I can relate. So again, multiple days a week, Heidi's bringing them food, driving them. Jesse's far from home, feeling like actually calling Heidi grandma. This is family. And so on our walks, we sometimes prayed. And if you've tried this, praying for this or other things, you know it's tricky business. It's tricky to, to pray for something so serious. And something maybe unique to cancer and a disease like it, it, it offers this painful and slow-moving journey. And I found, and you may have as well, our own prayers and hopes kind of, kind of ebb and flow as we... We're not sure, but we, we try. And so that's where I found myself, and that's where Heidi found herself. So back to our Bible story. After a tremendous effort, there we are. The paralyzed friend is lying on the carpet before Jesus with the eyes of the whole community gawking at the audacity of the friends and what has just happened to the roof. And so it's a loaded moment. Jesus looks down at the man and says this surprising statement. It says this, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the friends, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. So we, this should cause us to pause. What? Sins forgiven. What, what about rise up and walk? We, we've heard you say that, Jesus. That's kind of why we came. Son, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus does, as he does, uh, he, he does something controversial, and he ends up opening a religious debate, because expected would have been to do the visible and obvious needed thing. But instead, Jesus strikes at something important, but invisible, impossible to measure, and seemingly disconnected with what's happening in the man's life. Except that in that day, and sometimes even in our day, sickness, disability, can at least in people's minds be wondered, is, is it something you did? Is it something because of sin? Well, we see a note on that further in Scripture in John 9 when the disciples and Jesus see a blind man. The disciples ask him, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? So perhaps scenarios like that are going through the minds of the crowd gathered. And so Jesus offers this unexpected solution. Son, your sins are forgiven. Except, as they would know, and maybe we would feel too, only God can forgive. Is that not right? 
They, they knew that in their system, uh, in the Jewish system, in, the, in their Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, forgiveness of sin, that, that's, that's in Jerusalem. That's with the priests and, and uh, maybe an offering of a lamb or, or a dove and a, a ceremony. Not like this. Because also in their, in their Jewish Testament, in Leviticus, a book in the Old Testament, chapter 24, it actually says that if, if you speak blasphemy, something false about God, the penalty is death. So Jesus has made a serious and even dangerous claim in saying what he has said. And those teachers of the law sitting there saying this, they're right in terms of claiming that, that, that only God can forgive. But that's the point. Craig Keener in his New Testament commentary says this about the passage. Jesus' role in this passage challenges the theological categories of his culture's religious establishment. So Jesus is about to do something visible and temporary, healing a body, to highlight something invisible and eternal, forgiveness of sin. So in verse 8 and 9, Jesus engages the crowd on their own thoughts, and he, he asks them some questions. He says, what is easier to say? Sins are forgiven, which let's be honest, it's, you could say it, but it's impossible to prove. Or what's easier to say? Get up and walk, which is a very hard thing to say if you want to then prove it. And this is what Jesus says. So just to divert for a moment, has anyone in Alpha or taking Alpha at the moment? Maybe some of you have taken it. I know I've taken Alpha. I enjoy Alpha. I've led Alpha. And one thing I really appreciate, it's a course of, that involves a spiritual uh, seeking, looking after who is Jesus and stories like this. What did he do? And one thing I appreciate about Alpha is that it immediately invites you to put your faith, whether it's new or just a shred of faith, into action. And you hear testimonies in the videos about that. So it includes encouraging people to pray for large things like healing. And so the originator of Alpha, Pastor Nikki Gumbel, says this uh, about their course. He says, when we didn't pray for healing, nobody was healed. When we started to pray for healing, some people were healed. So I love that. It's just this, what if? What if we would start to pray? And so, maybe like you, I've faced multiple scenarios. Uh, friends and loved ones, sick, needing healing. And I find, you might find this too, my, my logical mind has a real hard time with it. I, I need like a dose of faith to even be willing to pray for healing. So as I mentioned, my, my father-in-law, Dwight, during those 18 months, we, we, we prayed and we were sort of learning to attempt to pray. We, we even visited a fairly famous church in the U.S. that prays a lot for healing. He wasn't there, but we were there and they, they prayed and they, they even gave, blessed and gave us a handkerchief, which we did not know what to do with and we just sort of tucked away. But, you know, it is a model that some churches used based on uh, passages in the Bible. And so... <laughs> there's that experimental doubt. Uh, and so even going further back in our, our North American thoughts on this, uh, one of the, uh, th I think, I believe the third president of the U.S., uh, Thomas Jefferson, famously took a Bible and cut out passages that had to do with healing, supernatural, miracle. And what he formed was, was a type of Bible, his own version, that was just really casting Jesus as the moral teacher. 
So indeed, this is a view that many in our society would share, maybe even some in the Christian church traditions. Uh, I want to show you a couple quotes. Uh, Pastor Ken sent me one as I was preparing, and the first quote uh, from author Jürgen Moltmann says this. Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only true natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Hmm, what if that was true? And then a further quote from a book we're reading as staff called You Are What You Love says this. The biblical vision refuses any dichotomy between the natural and the supernatural. I love that. So if we believe that we live in a world created by an almighty God, wouldn't it naturally follow that it could be perfectly acceptable that sometimes that, that mighty God could, could and would intervene in the creation that he has made. And so this is, this is the biblical world thinking in the, in the mindset and us as we are Christians. So again, I'll go back to Jesse and Heidi's story. As I said, with each update, it just kept getting worse and uh, symptoms getting worse and moving towards her eventual death, again, seemed logical. And Jesus knows how, how we begin like this. Uh, in, the actual, in the New Testament, Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, five times. So Jesus knows that's probably where his crowd is, though perhaps not those four friends. Jesus knows that there's a doubt when it comes to this stuff. Before we go on, though, I want, I want to pause. and actually want to bring up a realization I had as I was preparing this. Because you see, as I've, even as I've spoken already, and you might be thinking, we wonder what is healing, and we wonder how does healing work, and does it still work? Those are our questions. But in fact, if we dig a little deeper, I realized, and the text shows us, it's in fact probably not Mark's central question. I would say it's not his central question of this text. So to get Mark's main point of the passage, it's actually helpful to highlight the original audience that he wrote it to. So we see a slide coming that helps us imagine the, the lives of these early Christians. You see, these early Christians, they are removed by, by years and, and by geography from the events and the life of Jesus, like we are, much for, removed. But these folks, probably 30 plus years from the events. So they didn't meet Jesus personally. They are living in, in Rome in, in a brutal time uh, under when Christianity was a, a persecuted minority and there was a cruel emperor named Nero and literally killing Christians for sport as we see in this artwork. So if you're a Christian in Rome, you have real needs. If you're a Christian in Rome who wants to believe in Jesus and what he could do in extreme circumstances, you need to know, can I count on him? For example, when, when I'm being thrown in prison, thrown in the Colosseum, when I need healing, can I count on Jesus? And, and this, this is the crux of Mark's gospel. He's there among them saying, yes, yes, you can. And, and so like even in our world, as we, we look at our world, and I know we're all sort of wrapped attention on the news from Turkey and Syria. It's brutal. And we wonder, God, do you see our suffering, hurting world? when such things happen. And this is what Mark addresses in the account when he records how Jesus jumps into this loaded moment 
And what Jesus does is he, it's like he pulls back a curtain between heaven and earth in his, what he says in verse 10 and 11. Jesus says this to the crowd, to us, what I want you to know is that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, take up your mat and walk and go home. So this title, Son of Man, let's pause there for a sec. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, it's Jesus' favorite title for himself. But what does it mean? Uh, Son of Man, it's actually a, a hyperlink, if you will, to the Old Testament, to one of the ancient prophets named Daniel, who in his writings, with, under the guidance of the Spirit, predicting what God's Messiah would be, he writes this. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. So, who is it that can heal with a simple word, a simple get up? The Son of Man. The Son of Man has been given that kind of authority, glory, and sovereign power. So in the Jewish Hebrew scriptures of the time, they record seven different names for, for the mighty God, for Yahweh. And one of those names is Yahweh, our healer. So what's Mark saying? Steeped in those Jewish scriptures, what he's, when he's recording it, his question he's answering is, who is my healer? And Mark's answer, Jesus' answer for them, for us now, is the God of the universe revealed in Jesus Christ is our healer. It's a beautiful, beautiful promise. But the, the, the wonder and the mystery predicted in the Old Testament has come true, came true at a definite point in history. And it's proven as we read the historical account in verse 12, it says this. So he got up, he took up his mat, and he walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. It's beautiful. And it's the whole point of the passage is healing leads to praising God. The works of Jesus, the signs, point to a person. They point to Jesus as God's anointed, the Messiah, God himself. I love a quote about this from a, a pastor I've listened to a lot. Her name is Bethany Allen uh, in Portland at Bridgetown Church. She, in her life story, she tells a story of growing up with a, a sister with a chronic illness. So, of course, as a family, they, they prayed and they prayed and they've tried and done many things. And I don't know the actual ending to that story, but her conclusion is this, and I love it. Jesus always heals. He always heals by his loving presence, giving us his love and, and that. And sometimes he heals by healing our, our bodies. So her summary is this, always presence, sometimes power. So when we pray and have these needs, it's always the presence that we seek. It's not the healing necessarily. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. He's, he's, he's the mighty one. He's the one whose presence actually heals us. So that's why in the story we see to the paralyzed man, Jesus starts with, son, your sins are forgiven. So in this one statement, Jesus declares radical acceptance 
in cleansing and in and just the fullness of the healing presence of God in this man's life. You can imagine what he experienced. And we don't know what went on in his heart, but we can imagine because we know, many of us, that's gone on in our heart when our sins are forgiven, that, that presence of God, that peace floods us. And I've had that experience, especially in times of needing healing, even praying for our father-in-law, Dwight. It's the presence of God that is as much the healing and it's like in Matthew 7 when we were, Jesus is recorded saying, ask, seek, knock. The, my Father in heaven wants to give us good gifts as his children. So that's the main encouragement here is let's get in our need. Let's get to know God as good Father. He may surprise us as we, when we least expect it. Back to Jesse's story for a moment. So it was this past December, just before Christmas, and again, cold weather, it was probably a snowy day like this. I'm walking, and, and I saw Heidi and, and Molly walking in the snow. I wanted to ask, how's Jesse doing? But I sort of hesitated, but I worked my way up. I asked, how's Jesse doing? Heidi beamed. She said, Mike, I didn't tell you. Something marvelous has happened, maybe even miraculous. They, they began uh, in the fall taking Jessie off her, her medications that, that didn't seem to be working just to give her more comfort. She was just, her, her life was uh, really in a bad state. So let's help Jessie just be comfortable as she comes to her end. But what happened? Strength began returning. Appetite started returning. Hair started growing back. And the doctors at this point have determined that Jesse is in remission. Praise God. So Jesse does have some lingering symptoms a bit, uh, even the odd seizure. But Jesse is merging back to a full life, a life where she can restore some of her friends, a life where she can imagine, would, would I go back to school? Would I get some training? Her mom has, off, has gone back to work. Nothing official has been declared by Jesse yet about Christian faith, but she's had a significant experience of God's love and the hope offered by, by healing and by what Christians teach. So Jesse's story, it just fills me with hope in a few key ways. First is this, and for us to know, Jesus does care about healing our bodies, but he will use all sorts of methods. In my short time already at 10th, I've met many who are nurses, doctors, uh, practitioners of health, health technology, therapists. And I just want to underscore that this is part of the miracle of God's healing in our world. Uh, so if you've experienced any kind of a visit to a doctor, maybe you did this week, you've experienced a piece of how God heals in our world today. And I have experienced that I know that that's all but absent in many parts of the world. So when we experience it here, like, let's praise God. These, this is how God's works. So I want to show you a picture of that where I, I see the stark difference. I've got a good friend in um, Burundi. His name is Jackson Nahayo. He's sitting down, down there holding his child. So Jackson is a young boy who was a student in the school where I taught in Zambia for three years. Uh, he was a refugee from the Rwanda-Burundi genocide. And he eventually moved to Canada, eventually graduated high school. And at that point friends went back to visit, they found that Jackson's family was all still alive. They thought he had perished. He thought they had perished. So Jackson's life was full of sort of this spark and this fire. And, you know, through many years of encouragement, he went through nursing school 
in, in Winnipeg and was going back and forth. And he, in fact, through a number of friends and us included, filled a container with goods and raised money, brought it to Burundi and started a hospital. So the picture you're looking at, these smiling faces are all nurses, doctors, uh, therapists in different ways. And they're standing in the middle of the hospital, sort of a building that goes around a central courtyard. It's what they call the healing garden. So Jackson is very wide in his thinking. He says, you know, we've got surgery, we've got medicine, but people need a place of peace and healing. So in that community, I love the stories. You've got, you know, these strange things that happen in tropical medicine, a boil or something that could easily be healed here. But there, it requires some, just the simplest medicine. And so people are filing healing for their bodies. Secondly, uh, Jesus cares about the healing of people's souls. As in the story, we see that the man's physical bodily healing was a, a sign of inner healing, of forgiveness. So it's really good as we pray and we lean into this topic that the temporary and frail nature of our human existence here while we wait the return of our Lord Jesus. So what he prioritizes for all of us, first thing is always forgiveness of sin and always reconnection with him. Knowing that in the Christian hope, we look forward to a life together with God in, in a renewed world, in a renewed body that will not fail. So while we live in bodies now that will fail, the Christian hope is amazing. We look forward to a world with bodies that will never fail. It's an amazing future hope. So last week, as I was rehearsing this with, with Heidi going over the story of her and Jesse, she sent me a cherished quote that, uh, from a book that she's begun to love in this scenario. It's a book by, called The Practice of the Presence of God by a man called Brother Lawrence, who was a 16, or, yeah, in the 1600s, a clergy in, in a, a monastery in Paris. And Lawrence writes this. The first benefit which the soul receives from the presence of God is that faith grows more alive and active in all circumstances of life. This is particularly true when we are in need. It calls upon him freely with the assurance of response, and it receives everything it needs. That was Lawrence's discovery, and I, that's been mine, and I hope it is yours, that Jesus cares for our souls when we face great need. And lastly, a point I want to make is somehow in God's divine order, healing, our, our, our faith is important in healing. Our, our feeble, small faith. So in the story, it's highlighted by those four friends that had the faith to, to pick up their friend and the mat and dig through a roof and get him in the presence of Jesus. Faith, Jesus says. The faith of those friends is the motivating force, even the power, perhaps, that enables him to offer forgiveness and healing. So I have this final slide, and it's a question for us, for you, for our church. Whose healing do you desire? You might think of those people now. You might note them on your phone. What lengths will you go to to help them get near Jesus? That's the invitation here. You, want, you desire their healing. Will you help them get near to Jesus? Because it seems that your contribution will be part, at least, of God's healing plan. Your connection with them will be part of the healing. 
So in conclusion, as we get towards the end, believing in Jesus will push the limits of our rational minds. It may even break your categories. It may even cause controversy as you speak about Jesus in these ways among your workmates or your friends or maybe even in church. But we look to Jesus as our healer. We see evidence in scripture, in church history, and right up till today. As in Jesse's story, I see that as a sign of God's physical, emotional, spiritual healing. But we don't know. We don't, I don't know what Jesse's future will be. Will she, is she healed in remission for a year or for the next 50 years? We don't know. But for now, Jesse and her mom and Heidi and their church are praising God for the deliverance of Jesse and her body. They've experienced God's love and his tender care. In the story I shared about my, my father, Dwight, he slipped away after a courageous uh, year-long battle with cancer on Father's Day 2016. But we held on to Jesus right up to the end, and he held on to Jesus too. Jesus has not revealed a God we can perfectly understand, but he has revealed a God we can perfectly trust. One more story, if you'll allow me. I had one more experience I want to share. Um, as an InterVarsity staff, I would routinely go to the Urbana Missions Conference. And this one, I believe, was in, in 2015 when I went. So in the conference, they talk a lot about healing and forgiveness. And as they often do, there's always a night where they put out a call. If you would want to come to faith, or if you would want to come to pray for anything, come. So there I was. I didn't know if, if staff were supposed to go for the altar call, but I found myself going with students, thousands of them. We went and we were prayed for. And see, I had, the thing on my mind was a condition I had developed uh, when I, uh, something quite minor, but when I, when I lived in Africa and taught, uh, I loved playing soccer with especially the little kids. They make these homemade balls. And so one day I'm walking to the classes with my books and these three kids are dribbling around me. And so the ball comes my way. They're going to pass it to the, to, the, to the Canadian teacher and see what he'll do. So what do I do? I'm going to impress these kids. I've got my sandals on, not soccer shoes, but it'll be fine, right? So I wind up. Instead of kicking the ball, my foot kicks the ground, and the, the ball dribbles, and I think they laughed at me and walked away, but I, I limped away, actually. And so what developed over the next few years was just this like, Achilles issue. It was sort of annoying, and it restricted my activity. Uh, one thing I love to do is swim. And so when you're swimming, you really need a lot of motion in that Achilles and that ankle. But, so I really effectively couldn't kick. So that's what was on my mind as I went forward. So I, I went forward. They, they took us to a room where uh, many people were being prayed for. And uh, I sat down, and this wonderful man, you know, asking me questions, and then really praying, lots of time praying. And at one point in the prayer, he, he came around, and he had his hands on my shoulders, and it was lovely. And what I found was just swept more and more into the, to the presence of Jesus. And he'd pause, and he'd ask, you know, how's the leg? And I, well, it's about the same. I was moving it, uh, moving it. It was about the same. So in the third round of prayer, uh, I have my eyes closed, I'm sitting on a chair, and uh, you know, I was moving my leg, and you know, I felt his hands pushing against my leg, and I thought, oh, he's, he's probably kneeling down in front of me, isn't that, isn't that lovely, isn't that sweet? And in his action, I'm feeling, oh, you know, Jesus loves me, and I was, like, I was literally picturing Jesus kneeling in front of me. So, you know, as you do, I, I, peaked, a, I peaked a glance, 
the man was sitting about two meters away from me in a chair like this. So I closed my eyes, and I, again, I just felt like I could see uh, some, like the presence of Jesus and, and literally feel hands, a feeling of pressure, as you, know, as you would if you're moving your leg and someone's gripping it. So I was just, I don't know what's happening, Lord. So, so the, the, I just let that go for a while, and, and then I, I excitedly described it to the man, and, well, how's your leg? Actually, it's still the same pain, but I just felt like I'd had this encounter I can't quite explain. So I'm, I'm back in Vancouver weeks later, still limping. I took my kids to Hillcrest Pool and, you know, jumped in the deep end to help out, and, and I'm kicking, and I'm kicking, and there's no pain. And I just remember I've been kicking, I probably awkwardly splashed around, and I kind of excitedly got out, and I didn't, didn't quite know who to tell, but I was just like, I think I've had a delayed healing. I can't be certain, but I, it's, it's just this, you can't quite tell, but I had prayed and I had this experience, which is the thing I take away from that experience, and yes, I'm glad my ankle is working well, but that's been my experience, and I really, I, I hope it's yours as we uh, raise our sights to pray to this Jesus, the good father who wants to give gifts to his children. So as we come to a close, we're going to have communion and we're going to, to worship this Jesus. During the last worship set, uh, we have a couple people available who will come to the front and that might be something you want to do. You want to pray for someone or you might uh, want to pray for, with someone else. Maybe it's over lunch or in your life group this week, but let's pray and ask this God this Jesus for our healing. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, just give us a moment, Lord, as we, as we bow in your presence, we maybe picture the story in the Bible, we picture our own scenario, and we wonder, who are you, Jesus? Are you still this same healer? I just pray you would come near us now, fill us with the faith to pray, the trust, and to reach out for you. And even this week, to reach out and tell others and pray for others, like Heidi did, that there is a Jesus, there is healing possible, and there's reconnection with the Lord of the universe. So, so bless us, be with us, encourage us this week, and fill us with your power, even as now we worship, and then pray and, and go from here. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.